Well, hello there, Adam Basiljan here, hosting, uh, guest hosting the Golf Fanatics podcast. Very special guest today, someone I know you're all familiar with, uh, iconic coach David Ledbetter. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks, Adam. Nice to nice to see you. Nice to uh, revisit. I uh, haven't seen you for a little while, but uh, you know, we worked together for many years. We have with yeah. Andrew Rice, so it's always good to catch yeah, up. Fourteen years, uh, and I yeah. took lessons from you, of course. Uh, you know, in the early 1980s, I'd say it was probably like that yeah. back at Greenleaf in those days. Mm, back well, in the day, back in the day, yeah. Had back lots in of, the day for sure. Lots of, well, anyway, lots of stories about that place. <laughs> lots of I have uh, a little bit of knowledge, obviously, of David's background going back that far with him. But I think it might be of interest to people to know that you, you're born in England. Your dad, Doug, Douglas Ledbetter, it was Douglas, wasn't it, your dad? Mm -hmm. uh, got a job in Zimbabwe, South Africa. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in golf and how that affected you there, getting started over there. Yeah, you know, we moved out to Africa when I was or seven, seven years old. Yeah, so I spent, you know, a few years in the UK and we went out to Africa. And I have to say the weather was a hell of a lot better out there than it was yeah. in the UK, you, you know, that part of the world. Um, and so... Um, yeah, it was one of those things growing up, we played all sports, you know, you know, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, you know, cricket, hockey, field hockey, tennis, you know, it was a big tennis nut. And, uh, and golf was just one of those games you took to. So you played during school holidays and what have you. And we you know, had a pretty thriving junior sort of um, section, I suppose, in that country. It's a small country, Zimbabwe, but out of that country came people like, Nick Price, who I grew up with, and Mark McNulty and Dennis Watson. So those are sort of people I used to play junior golf with. And it's mm -hmm. funny how we all sort of ended up out here. And, uh, you know, with uh, Dennis Watson and Nick, both winning the World Series at a very early stage mm -hmm. of their careers, they got 10-year exemptions. Uh, <laughs> so so it, was, it, was, it was strange how that worked. I, I you know, I try to I had I, I turned pro when I was very young when I was 18 so I um, you know did the sort of typical British route where you become an assistant and you work your way up and you know, I'd always had wanted to play and uh, you know my, my game got you know decent and so you know I played a few tournaments in South Africa on the South African tour and I uh, but then I, and I decided to go back to tour school in the UK um well I actually went back to the UK and decided okay I was going to go to tour school and I cut a long story short I won't bore you with all the details because it was quite boring in many respects but uh, it was probably a, it was happenstance I actually missed my tour card by a shot okay mm. I had a I had a 10 footer on a 72nd hole or was the 90th hole 72nd there was any four round back those days and I had a 10 footer uphill right to left, you know, and I left an inch short. So it was sort of uh, defined my uh, career, so to speak. So yeah. in, in many respects, I say that was the best putt I ever missed. So, <laughs> because it, it, it sort of helped me forge my path, so to speak. And I, I, even from a young age, I was teaching and I always had interest in coaching and teaching and reading books. And, you know, Ben Hogan's Modern Fundamentals was one of my... Right which was one of my sort of uh, early books that I used to love to read. Nick Price actually was the same. He, was, he still got the book and it's all highlighted and you know, back from whatever, 40, 50 years ago. So it's amazing. Now, but, Nick, uh, was he a junior at the club where you worked, Nick was? Uh, he, he, yeah, you know, we all sort of, you know, it's interesting. I mean, they, they really, 
I wish they would do the same in this country, but it's really cheap to become a junior member of golf mm-hmm. club. So we were all members of about four or five clubs, you know, and then oh, we, I played, you. Yeah. We, right. you know, we played a lot of competitive golf during, I mean, that used to have a, literally a, a golf tournament every day at one of the clubs that we were members right. at. Probably right. had anywhere between 80 and hundred kids playing. So it was, uh, you know, it was very competitive, but it's a, it's a, that part of the world, you know, South Africa, and you see all the great players that have come out of there. That Southern Africa is a very sports-loving-minded mm-hmm. part of the world, and and the weather lent itself to, you know, that, to golf in particular. You know, you got twelve months a year of you know great weather for the most part, and 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 good golf courses too. So, um, so yeah, it was a it was a it was fun time growing up. And I say I went back to UK and had a lot of political issues and and southern africa at that time so i thought well you know i was obviously a british citizen so uh and when i went back to the uk i actually came out to the states for a, a couple of teaching seminars but i really thought you know i think my after i missed that 10 footer <laughs> i sort of sat down and thought i said you know what i suck like, I, I i really love teaching and i've got to have an insight into the game having played some and uh so I wanted to learn all I could about you know, coaching and teaching. So I came over to the States, went to a couple of seminars at people like Jim Flick and a couple of other well-known people, Gary Wyron and all the, uh, right. the PGA put on back in the day. And I, I, it really was an eye-opener. And sort of, so I, I went back and sort of used some of that knowledge there. And uh, you know, I thought I was a, a big deal because I'd been to America and been trained. You know, meanwhile, it was only for a couple of weeks, but it still, you know, it was like it was different. And so, but then I had a chance. Uh, one of my mentors in the early years was, you know, who you know knew well, Phil Ritson. And Phil, yeah, uh, I mean, I used to take lessons from him. Phil was a very, I mean, he was he was a really good player in his day. He, I mean, a great coach. I mean, very, very much ahead of his time and right, talking right, an right. awful lot and uh, about my game and consequently about teaching. And then he he became the, he moved over here and became the uh, golf director at Disney World. And I met up with Phil and he said, hey, listen, you know, you, you should really think about coming over here. And so, you know, kindly introduced me to, uh, somebody in the, in Chicago, and I actually got a, a teaching position up in Chicago at a place called Oak Park Country Club, which is near Butler National, which, you know, Chicago is full of amazing golf courses. Right. And so mm-hmm. I um, I spent a couple of seasons there, which is quite interesting, you know, sort of yeah, getting into the ins and outs of the country club world and you know, members trying to marry after their daughters and all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny. Right. But, Coincidentally, uh, I think the lawyer at that club that helped you get you a green card or a visa, a guy called Richard Seeker, uh, right. was actually, his, he's no longer a member here, but he's a member at the club I work at here in Naples. Oh, uh, uh, small world. Yeah, yeah. Richard Dick, as we call him, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was very helpful in getting me a green card over here. And uh, so, you know, and then consequently, then I moved down to central Florida because actually, um, um, his great friend was a, an entertainer called Danny O'Neill, who was a member at, at the club in Chicago. And Danny O'Neill, as, as uh, by happenstance, was actually Andy Bean's manager. Oh, really? So Andy Bean, back in the day, he represented, of course, Greenleaf, which is central Florida. It's just outside of Orlando, which back in the day was really a top-notch facility. Right. Not so much now, unfortunately. You know, things it's gone by the wayside, but it's uh, still there. I mean, two of the courses are, but it was a fabulous facility really it uh, i mean it, it hosted tour school ncaa's and right. it was really uh you know place to be so 
I actually opened, uh, we initially opened the Andy Bean Golf Studio. And uh, not that Andy knew anything about teaching or coaching, right. you know, as great a player as he was, but, uh, but we sort of used his name. I mean, nobody knew me back in the day. And so, uh, and as time went by, we sort of changed it to the David Ledbetter Golf right. Academy. And, uh, yeah, and then say people like Nick Price and Dennis Watson and a whole host of Southern Africans came over. I mean, it was really interesting. David Frost was around David a lot. Frost. Fulton Allen and you know they all happened to win the World Series. I don't know what it was about that tournament, but it seemed all the players that I coached back in the day won the World Series. But so um, yeah, it was uh, so. And then obviously, um, subsequently, not long after I moved, a couple of years really, probably yeah, mid eighties was when I started working with uh, Nick Felder or Sir Nick Felder, as you have to call him now. And so um, you know that really, in the beginning, it was it was a uh, it was a tough tough task because he wasn't playing very well but we stuck at it and we stuck at it and uh eventually obviously the fruits of his labor and, and to some extent mine uh came to the forefront and uh you know the rest is history as they say you won six majors and you know so from there my my stock rose it wasn't it wasn't very high during the time that he wasn't playing well uh, but after he started his his run uh i mean yeah it was amazing you know i mean he was number one for a longer period of time and nick price was during that time and so on so but uh he you know he really put you know i mean obviously i helped him but he certainly helped me in many respects because it you know my, i became sort of a not that i intended to do it but i became more of a celebrity coach really and you know videos and books and opening academies and training aids and so on and so forth you know it was all sort of a, a result of you know they, somehow they i must have put with a lot of people they thought i was pretty good at what i did so uh, it's like you know and I, I said i got to work with other tour players you know and um you know on the pga lpga european tour some of my wife kelly my wife kelly played you know she was playing mini tours and we got together and uh so uh, she played in the LPGA for a good 10 years. And so, it, you know, so it was, it's been a great run and I've enjoyed it. It is, uh, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, and I've been, I've seen the game progress, you know, through mm -hmm. the, through the, the ages, so, so to speak, not, not going back as far as Hickory, but, you know, I mean, not far off it, I suppose, but seeing uh, all, you know, just how coaching has changed, the technology is obviously playing a big role, equipment, you know, I've been with, Callaway for over 20 years now and just I was hired by Ely Callaway and I always remember the quote it's always I always bring this out because it's always it was something that always stuck out in my mind and Ely Callaway was a great he was a great southern gentleman he uh, had a you know, very southern accent and he was actually related he was a distant cousin of Bobby Jones in fact really? Ely, he actually found you know all the all the uh, the tapes and videos they've had of Bobby Jones at the whole mm -hmm. series that he did he actually located those in some someplace and actually brought them to life. And so wow. that's the reason those tapes were around. But anyway, he said to me, he said, David, when, when they hired me and took me on staff at Callaway many you know, eons ago, you know, over 20 years ago now, uh, he said, David, you and I were in the same business. I said, how's that, Ely? He says, we're in the business of selling hope. And uh, when you think about it, it's like as coaches and teachers and, club manufacturers, yeah, sports psychologists, everybody, 
you know, everybody has dreams and goals and aspirations. That's the fascinating thing about this sport because at any, at any time, even, even, you know, your uh, instructionally challenged golfers, people play, you know, everyday golf who plays maybe uh, once a month, if he's might not be an everyday golfer, but he's uh, your everyday sort of person, shall we say, you know, they can hit a shot that the, the greatest players in the world would be proud of. And that's doesn't happen in any other sort of, Right. Sport, really, right? I mean, you could you could enjoy driving cars fast, but you're not going to drive like Lewis Hamilton, or you could enjoy playing tennis, but you're not going to serve like Nadal. You know, so it's 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 you know, but golf is one of those games where you know you're always living in hope. You're always you know, that's why people take lessons. Why people always buy new equipment and mm-hmm. trying out new instruction and you name it. I mean, golfers are crazy and they'll do anything just to play, exactly. play a little bit better. And that's why, that's why we have jobs, right? I mean, exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, so, um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing sport and it's more than a sport to most people. It's like, a, you know, it's a, a life experience. It's a, it's something that, uh, look, people live on golf courses, people make their livings out, living out of golf. Uh, I mean, you think it's a multi-billion dollar business worldwide. Right. And, uh, right. I mean, it's, I, I can't think of any other sport that, or entity which is like that. Well, I would agree. And it's connected to real estate. It's connected to many other peripheral forms of income, for sure. Why do you think today, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but it seemed like in your heydays, you know, you had Ernie Els, Nick Price, Nick Faldo, David Frost. I mean, a whole stable of players. It seems like more of today's pros have you know, they work with their own coach or maybe a coach works with two or three. There's a couple of exceptions to that for Charmin. There's a few mm. people more. But why do you think it's gone a bit more that way? Well, I just think, you know, when I, when I first started, honestly, when I was out there uh, going to tournaments with players, you know, I, I can hardly recall seeing another coach out there. I mean, occasionally you saw someone like Jimmy Ballard. He had a, people like Curtis Strange and Hal Sutton, uh, and maybe I saw Bob Toskey once or twice, and maybe in the UK I saw John Jacobs. But literally, I mean, now it's a it's a living that players make. It's I mean, because golf was very slow to sort of take up the player coach relationship situation. I mean, in tennis, yeah, it's always been around, and other sports, but in golf, it was almost as if rare. You know, literally, you know, I said, listen, if, if the co- if, I, if the coach can beat me, I'll listen to him. You know, so it's almost like right. these guys through talent alone. Uh, and talking amongst themselves. And I mean, there, there were obviously there were exceptions. I mean, Jack Nicholas had a coach, Jack Grout. I mean, even Bobby Jones had a coach, Stuart mm-hmm. Mayton. Uh, mm-hmm. But few and far between. So I think more, more than anything, uh, reason these days, I mean, look at, and it's a full time job now. Look, you're doing all sorts of things, more than just sort of coaching technique. I mean, you're sort of, you know, you're doing everything, arranging practice schedules and coordinating maybe other types of coaches whether it be short game or mental coaches so there's a lot of work involved i mean there really is and so and you know a lot of these coaches yeah they have maybe academies but some of them just literally travel full time now and so you know it's a you're a bit like a gypsy and so yeah i can remember the tournament i probably had honestly at least a dozen players at a lot of tournaments at least and probably one of the reasons was i was probably one of the first to sort of carry around a a video camera, one of those old right. VHS things, you know, it weighed about two ton. And, you know, at the end of the day, you were sort of like, you needed, needed a Sherpa really to carry it for you. Uh, but uh, so I, th- I think that was intriguing to a lot of players because back, honestly, in the early to mid 80s, there's very few players that even seen their swings on film. 
so that's how you know that's going back now but so today i mean look in the age of technology you know, obviously with all the launch models track man and so on and so forth and force plates uh Kvis and you name it. I mean, look, it's 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 become highly. Uh, it's a technologically advanced sport now. All ha having said that, though, I mean, the danger is obviously that people have less time to play and practice than they ever did in the past. You know, mainly because of you know these things. You know that we have right. here. That you know, in the old days, you know, you you want to sneak off and play around a golf in the afternoon. All right, you you'd see who called on your answering machine and call them back the next day right now if you don't call them back within 30 seconds you're getting beeped all the time so it's like it's not not quite as doesn't lend itself to uh right. wanting to sort of go off and play golf so the, pro the problem as i see it is that look it's great to have all this technology and what have you but i i think i think a lot of coaching for a lot of golfers is way too advanced i think you know just look at some of the the simple stuff like Harvey Pennock and you know John Jacobs and you know um, these sort of coaches, you know Ernest Jones. I mean, swing the club head. I mean, a lot of a lot of people look. And if you look at most instruction, you can go, you can you can look at it on your YouTube, which is, I think at last count was over seven million pieces of advice on YouTube. Uh, and so <laughs> it looks like some people are trying all 7 million at once, you know, with the way they're over the ball and freezing over it. But I mean, you've got to keep it simple. I mean, yeah. so, and to me, so much of instruction today seems to be geared towards a very, very good player, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm all into technique and getting younger players to get their technique down. But even then, some of them get a little too involved with, you know, overthinking about it. And you know, sports psychologists, people like Bob Rodell and whatever. Uh, they, they dislike this era completely uh, intensely because of the fact that getting people to overthink too much and, right. and golf is not it's not a, a reflex sport like tennis where you react that's not a reactionary sport you've got all this time to think about it and people generally do so to some in some respects i'm, I'm actually you know i i get a lot of our coaches never even use video cameras or anything with some of the some of their sort of high handicappers because you want them to observe you know mimic copy you talk about certain feelings because in the end if you ask any player out there it's a feeling they have when they're about their swing it's not they're not having haven't got a laundry list sort of stamped out in front of them where they're okay we'll take it low here cock here rotate here make sure your chin's behind the ball elbow down lead with a lower body unwind get your chest move. i mean you know you've got right. 10 things there which literally if you wrote them out would take you about two minutes to write out so so I, I think that there is a danger that you could that people can overcomplicate it. You know, it's always nice to say, "Wow, that was I had such a simple lesson. It made such a big difference." And so, you know, especially for I say many higher handicap amateurs, um, senior golfers. I mean, you know, look, a senior golfer when they're seventy years old, they don't have the mobility, the flexibility, the movement they had, you know, when they were thirty. So it's like you know, you can't. You, I mean, as much as I believe in how the big muscles work, you can't get them to coil 100 degrees with this or turn 100 degrees with the shoulders and create coil and X factors and so on. It's like, it sounds great, but, you know, people looking at that, it's like, you know, they might as well, it's like speaking Af Afghanistan, you know, Afghani, you know, if you, you know, never learned a word of, you know, part, if you can speak English, but you can't learn to speak something, you know, from a, some other country. Yeah, you might learn a pigeon in a in a in a phonetic way, but it's never going to become part of your natural. And right. I'd say most people are even like all the training aids I've had through the years. I mean, I, I've you know things like the swing setter and so on. It's like 
they're simple, okay, where people can just sort of, oh, okay, I've got the feel, that's great. Because the less you have to yeah. tell people. Swing set yeah, particularly the, the was great. I always that. remember when I first came to the States, I mean, one thing I remember, I think Jim Flick said, he said, you know, he said, here's a, here's a quote that you want to remember. He said, you know, you want to teach one thing many times rather than many things a few times. And mm -hmm. so, it, which is really good advice, really, for a lot of coaches and teachers, because I say, you can just, you know, you can go on and on and on. I mean, you know, go to some of these seminars and some, you know, obviously biomechanics is a big buzzword now, which I love. I mean, my, one of my great friends is JJ Reve, who's one of the world's leading biomechanists. We get together, but a lot, and we keep, but it, it's, it's kept pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's nice to have all the facts and the figures and the, all the numbers and so on, but, you know, does, does the, end, the end user, the golfer, the student, really need all that? No, do they need to understand alpha, they, you know, delta and beta planes i i don't think so you know so you know and the problem is these days i mean there's a lot of these guys giving you know these biomechanists who are full full-blown biomechanists giving lectures and seminars and the, you know the old pj professional goes along there so oh this is pretty cool you know i had three days of that and they start teaching this stuff and it's like oh my goodness i mean so you know as i say it's it's you, the proof of the pudding is that has the standard of golf actually improved over the last 30 years? And I'd say to you, no. Okay. I mean, yes, maybe, you know, at the, at the junior level, yes, the standard and quality and at the tour professional level. Yes. But if you look at the masses, which we're talking about 99.5% as the average golfer, you know, and you see all these wonderful claims, Hey, you know, give you 30 yards and 30 swings or Hey, two days to catch your handicap by shots i mean it's a bunch of nonsense you know this you know, selling you know really you know snake water there you know so it's a it's um snake oil i should say but anyway it's uh you know it's, it's interesting and uh, i think as coaches and teachers yeah i always say look learn as much as you can to teach as simply as you can i mean it's always fun right. to keep learning never stop learning and all the modern gadgets and the things that come out and i mean it's fascinating to me but in the end it's like look it our job as coaches and teachers is to educate golfers to get better, right? So they enjoy the game more. Because look, if you get people enjoying the game more, having more fun, they're going to keep playing. And so um, that's that's You're right. As little monster. time and practice as they have time to put in the average person, if it isn't some sort of reasonably manageable swing feel that's that they can incorporate a bit, get a little bit better, it's not probably going to stick if it's too complicated. Well, no, exactly. And I mean, you know, people overthink anyway. You know, they get right. the old paralysis through analysis syndrome as John Jacobs used to refer to it as and so you know look there's some really great coaches around you know you've got you know you've got the Butch Harmouth and the Jim McLeans and you know et al and I mean they as with me we've sort of grew up in an era where we didn't have videos and all the technology right so it was sort of feel and instinct that we used in order to get our message across right and so in the end Yes, you can know a you can know a hell of a lot. You can have a hell of a lot of knowledge, but you know you've got to be able to communicate that knowledge right. in, a, in in different ways to different people, so they get the message in a way that hey, they can get the club more consistently on the ball and see an improvement. Yeah, hopefully they hit it longer. But you know, mm -hmm. I would say, well, it's nice hitting it longer, you know, but the you know the woods are full of long hitters. So if you know, <laughs> ultimately if we can get people hitting it straight and play more consistently, because I mean, I know that that word comes up thousands of times just i just want to be more consistent right. <laughs> that's it you know instead of you know one good shot every blue moon so you know so anyway it's fascinating it's like a, 
you know, I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot. I've met some great people. And so I've, uh, a lot of people say, how would you change your career? And it's like, well, I don't know if I would actually, because it's like, it's, uh, you know, I mean, you can't be all things to all people. And right. some people like what you do. Some people don't. It's just life, right? So, but I mean, as long as, you know, I've written, I don't know, nine books now. I'm actually just about finishing my, my, I swear this is my last one because these things take a lot of time to work, to write and what have you. But, you know, I've written a lot of books and a lot of, you know, videos and a lot of TV stuff and tips and you know, do a lot of stuff for Golf Digest uh, and you know I do a lot of corporate clinics. People like SAP and Rolex and what have you. And so that's always fun. So which is nice because you get to you get to express yourself. And there's nothing right. better. I mean, it's all, all this online learning is actually pretty cool. But there's nothing better than actually being able to put your hands on somebody and give them a feel for what they're trying to do and be able to express to them hey, this is the feeling that you want. And being there to actually hear the contact and to see, you know, to see how the, see the divot, et cetera. There's, not, there's nothing better than that. I mean, you yes, can see stuff and you can look at a swing on video. And I mean, I, I always get on, you know, I get a lot of players, they send me swings you know, through the internet. I said, well, so how does this look? I said, well, it looks good. I mean, how's the ball going? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, how, how's it, A, how's it feeling? And B, you know, what's a ball flight like? Okay. And well, if you've got track, man, give me some numbers and I can look at it. You know, I can't just, I mean, you could, you know, if you look probably not so much these days, but back in the day, I mean, if you looked at Jim Furyk's swing, you'd say, well, what do you think? Well, uh, how do you unravel that? You know, so it's like back in the day, right. But you know what he's achieved. So you'd say, well, he's got something going, which is obviously uh, been very, very consistent, allowed him to become... That you know, sort of leads me to a question, having spent a lot of time around you. It seems like one of the things you, you do really well is you'll look at a certain player, let's say particularly a skilled player, especially a competitive one, and you know, you'll have a certain innate sense of, hey, this is the, these are the things this player needs to retain. It's either a certain pattern in their release or type of like something you feel that is obviously something's making them good. And yeah. you build around that. How do you, or is it just instinct, discern what you think needs change and what you think needs to stay and be built around? You know, it's a good question because uh, I, I've given a lot of lessons and, you know, people watch me teach. And, you know, we have, obviously, we've got 35 academies over around the world because I'm in partnership with a company from Korea called Golf Zone and they're the biggest simulator company in the world. So we've got all these academies worldwide. And, I mean, you, were, you ran one of them for, for us for eons down in naples and so we have 35 and we've probably got about 120 130 coaches in the system and a lot of times i'll say well watch me watch me and uh so and and i honestly when i teach a lot of times i mean i'll do things and somebody said well, why did you do that why did you get their right hand a little bit more on top and i i'd almost have to think about it you know it's almost just instinct it, it takes mm. over you know that's something I think you either have or you don't uh, in many respects. You can learn the rudiments of the game as, as coaches. I mean, I, and I see it all the time. You find, I see some coaches there, they're very good at, okay, A, B, C, D, E, okay. But, and the, but the other coaches who sort of have that instinctive awareness, okay, hey, let me do this. I, I'm going to get his posture, although technically it may be not correct, shall we say, but I'm going to get this... Say a, a person, just as a, for argument's sake, somebody's turning their shoulders really flat and you find it very difficult to get a little more tilt. Well, you know, I actually might get that person instinctively to actually have more forward bend, actually have a hair more weight on their toes because what that does, it creates that 
ability to sort of tilt the shoulders more. So if, that, if that's what we're working on, I'm just using that as an example. Right. And so my grandfather, actually, my late grandfather, um, was one of Britain's leading osteopaths, and he was blind. And so he had an innate sense, I think, how to feel things. And, you know, my mother would say, well, you've inherited some of his touch and feel. So I said, well, that's good. Because, you know, to have, to, to have that ability to, you know, do different things with different people at different times. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, and, you know, obviously you get video, you've got Trapman now to back up one's assumptions. You know, you, I mean, for instance, you know, you can see, well, man, you, you look like, you know, you're, you're way over the top, but yet Trapman will tell you, no, actually, you're actually coming too far from the inside. So yeah, you may be over the top to start with, but, you know, coming into the ball, you're actually rerouting it and coming too mm -hmm. far from the inside. So, you know, the, the classic sort of, the classic fix would not necessarily work for this person. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's one of those things that, uh, as I say, I think just through experience and there's nothing better than experience. That's why I say I get a lot of my coaches to teach without video because I think you can rely on it too much and just say oh, oh look here yeah, this is not this is not according to the model what what's the model I mean we all have our own models right we, we are our model if you will we find out and this is what as a as a coach the job really I think is to get somebody to really understand what the problems are uh, what the tendencies are and the plan to fix them and so and whatever that may be. I mean, whether you get somebody to get the club face go, clothes going away because you know they, they fat it so much or whether you get somebody to actually rotate it going away. I mean, there's different ways of, of looking at it. That's why, you know, I mean, I always joke, you know, I've, for many a year, look, I've taught Michelle We I started teaching her when she was 13 and she, she has always been a serious tinkerer. She's a, one of those people who she gets bored and she has to have something for her mind to do. So when she had all this time to work on a game back, you know, obviously before she got married and had a baby, she, uh, I mean, literally I told her never write an instruction book, Michelle, because by the time the instruction book comes out, you will have changed your swing about six times. So it would look nothing like what you, what you preached in the pages on the book. Uh, and the funny thing is ironically with her having less time to play and practice now because of you know, her scheduling with her baby and her family and what have you, She's actually stuck at her swing she, since before she got pregnant. So the baby's, I don't know, so say a year and a half, she pretty much maintained, I said, this is the first time you've ever maintained anything. And her swing looks great. I mean, her putting's a little suspect, but uh, as I told her, I said, I don't think you've ever swung any better than this. And so, so it's interesting how, I know getting a little off the subject there, but it's, it, it is interesting how that, uh, you know, you, you have to ebb and flow as a coach. You, if you mm -hmm. just get stuck in one way, that's why, Methods never really have worked. And I've always been uh, thought of as a method teacher. I've never believed myself as a method teacher because I'm actually, I'm a very right brain person. Probably I would have been a lot better player if I'd realized that because I've always had a great short game. And I never used to think about it. I used to see it, you know, see it, feel it and do it type thing. Whereas with the swing, I mean, I was always, you know, my nose was always in you know, Ben Hogan's book or whoever. And uh, okay, let's try this. Let's try that. You know, and so and I became very analytical and very much a, a left a left brainer, which really hurt me as a player because you know you've got to figure out. Okay, listen, if you're a field player, you're a field player. If you're a little more of a mechanical player, well, that's fine. But you you if you if you are a field player and you're working on too many mechanics, it's going to be disastrous. And so if you if you're a mechanical player and somebody just gives you a feel, that also could be a problem. So 
that's why it's really interesting when we're dealing in, in teaching and coaching. You know, apart from beginners where, yes, you'll probably give them a more of a mundane approach, but okay, okay, this is the grip, this is your posture, this is the way your pivot works, this is the way the club swings, sort of picturing a circle or some simple stuff. But once they get beyond that beginner stage, then you sort of have to sort of get to a point where you're giving them a little more specific stuff to work on and which is geared towards them. So apart from the beginner stage, I mean, everybody that comes to see you is different. And it's like, right. you've got to be a bit of a detective really to figure out what's causing what, because golf is a cause and effect game, right? It's like, right. I mean, I always say with Chapman, it's like, you know, I mean, as much as I really enjoy the launch monitors, but they really, you know, they don't tell you how to fix it. They don't actually tell you what's going on. They point right. out the result, right? It's just a way of saying, well, look, you know, I mean, you can see somebody maybe swinging too far from the inside and the divot's going to the right. But hey, you realize you're 10 degrees from the inside. And as a result, when you hit that big hook there, your face was actually very, very closed relative to the path. So that, you know, that can back up what you say. Mm -hmm. But those numbers come from somewhere, right? I mean, they don't right. just drop out of the sky. It's like, you know, God doesn't say, okay, hey, you're going to be an inside out hooker today. Okay. You're going to be a big slicer today. Okay. Those numbers come from somewhere so you have to figure out if the cause and effect situation and it's nice to be able to i mean i, I mean the reason i think technology is great because it helps to quantify what you're seeing and what you're doing and the fact is you can see even minuscule amounts of improvement and also when somebody's playing well you've got sort of a, a blueprint where look this is this when you were playing well these are your numbers so hey let's right. see if we can get back to that but because you can you can for sure you know if you get a say you wanted a tour player to because they're hitting down too much. So, okay, with the driver, you say, listen, we've got to get it where, we've got to get it up on this, okay? So, all right, okay. I mean, literally, it'll take them one swing, okay? They'll probably tee it up higher, put it further forward, get a little more tilted to the dress, hang back a bit. Oh, there you go, look at those numbers, so much better now. Okay, you're fixed. Well, not quite that easy, you know? I mean, how does that, how does that affect your iron play? Okay, right. so it's like, you know, you sort of, uh, so you have to you have to tread carefully there, and um, as I said, I'm not poo-pooing technology. I think it's great, but you've got to use it wisely. You can't just but, think. Okay, some of the I famous have. players you've taught a lot of famous players. Obviously, who who would be maybe a few of the more technically oriented players, and maybe well, a few would, of the very few. Well, I'd say if I go back to the day, Nick Fowler was very technical, but he he had the unique ability to turn that technical side of things into feel when he was playing. So you'd work on things. And that's, that's, the, that's the interesting thing. And I you know, always sort of get with players and say, look, it's okay to work on technique and stuff. You can do drills. You can get in a mirror. You can, you know, you can do this stuff. And, but you know, when, it, when it comes down to playing, you've got to simplify this down to maybe one key thought or key feel. And, and so you know, it's, it's like the old thing, right? You play golf or you play swing, right? So you, you've, got to, you've got to get to a point where you're playing golf and your mind is more into the target. I mean, ultimately, if you're playing darts and you're thinking, okay, I'm going for the bullseye, you're not thinking about how you're gripping the dart, how you're taking it back, you right. know, am I following through and et cetera, et cetera, right? It's like, okay, there's the bullseye, boom. So your mind is purely into it. And because your mind can only handle so much stuff. And if you're using, right. if you're using your frontal cortex all the time, which is the, you know, the, the analytical part of your brain, the conscious part of your brain, well, it's, it's probably, you're going to have a, you know, it's going to be tough. So that's why it's important if you, you know, you take lessons or if you work on stuff to, you know, do something at home, make, you know, spend 10 minutes go out in the garden and swing a golf club yeah. for five, 10 minutes just to get a feel. 
swing swing with your eyes closed okay hey i'm trying to get a little bit more rotation with my upper body here so i want to get my shirt buttons on top of my right leg well do it with your eyes closed and feel it don't stand over the ball there. okay get my shirt buttons on my right leg i mean you know that'll last about two swings and then you'll go back to what right. heck you were doing before i was able to be around you a number of times when you taught faldo five or six times and i was very impressed with how soft his body language always even when he had a couple of things he always looked fluid his, his pre-shot, he never looked like, you know, so often when we think too much, we look like we're thinking too much, but that never did seem to happen. You know? no, I, no, I remember observing that. Yeah, and the certain players have that ability. I mean, that's one thing we never really try to mess around with was his, his rhythm. You know, Ernie else was the same. I mean, beautiful flow, beautiful rhythm. And uh, to some extent, even like a Patrick Reed or, you know, or a Charles Swartzel, who I work a lot with now. Um, you know, they, they have beautiful natural rhythm, and that's something you never want to destroy because that's that's an innate part of them. Okay, it's part of their DNA. You can't, you know, if somebody all of a sudden, I mean, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, I mean, he's a, it's a whole other story with the Bryson de Chambeau. I mean, I mean, the thing that's always amazing to me is not how fast he swings it, but how fast he swings it back. Oh, I, I mean, know you know, I mean, Jesus, they should check his club head speed on his backswing because I mean, I think it'd be, it'd be as, high, as high as most people's on the downswing, you know. So it's, uh, I mean, it's amazing. So I mean, his tempo. I mean, you know, he, he didn't have a slow tempo before, but uh, he uh, he certainly quickened it up tremendously, you know, and he's able to handle it. You know, he's definitely a, an outlier in many respects. With the, there's been some real incremental leaps in golf distance obviously technology has a great deal to do with John Daly sort of moved the ball forward and then mm. he had some guys after him that were at least as long and now Bryson's kicked it up another 20-25 yards Rory McIlroy was maybe in the middle of that yeah. how far can it go and how much do you think the equipment I mean, just some comments on this on what, what you think well you know obviously it's a it's a it's a question that the, the powers of be are trying to sort out because I mean for sure I mean golf courses are I mean just look what Bryson did to Wingfoot. I mean, it was right. like nuts, you know. And so, I mean, I mean, Gary Player, I remember years ago, said, "Hey, you, you got to get some athletes in the future. You know, go hit it 400 yards, you know, and be players. You know, where we know we've seen players hit it 400 yards, but they're long drive guys, and you know, they couldn't hit a wedge for toffee, sort of thing. You know, but um, but you know, now you're you're good, you're getting better athletes." Yeah, I think ultimately, and I mean, I know a lot of people are against it because they're traditionalists, but I honestly think ultimately the, the, the professional game, maybe at the higher amateur level, they're going to have to monitor them, their own games. Okay. I mean, I don't think there should be the same rules necessarily. They call it bifurcation. It shouldn't necessarily be the same rules for the amateur golfer who's out there to have fun. I mean, what's a, why not let the amateur hit it 20 yards longer i mean have more fun i mean that's enjoyable to them right getting it out there and playing and hitting less poor shots i mean what what are these i mean just look at the clubs these days just look at the perimeter weighted clubs compared to you know, the blades they had back in the 60s and 70s so i mean those are those have made somewhat it's the game somewhat easy but it's never going to be it's never going to be easy regardless unless you've got you know a club that swings itself and hits the ball i mean which who knows in the future that might happen. But I mean, it's, it's still, I, I just think that, look, it's, you know, the, the ball goes longer. I mean, the clubs are now, you know, a lot of people forget that they're matching clubs to players so much better than the past. In the, right. in the past, yeah. it was a bit of trial and error to find the right driver and to find the right ball and to find the right shot. But, you know, obviously with, 
launch monitors now, you can pretty much suss out, you know, hey, well, this is launching at this height. This is how, what the spin rate is, and it's carrying another 15 yards and blah, blah, blah. So you can pretty much dial it in pretty quickly. And so that, that was, didn't happen in the past. You know, if you had a, you know, a favorite driver that did hit it long ways, you know, you were very, you were loath to actually practice with it, you know, especially if it was a Simmons club in case you cracked the thing or something, and now well, that's gone, and now you can't get another one to replace it. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so I, I, I personally think that, look, there should be, look, if you're playing the US Amador, if you're playing on professional tours, I think they need to govern themselves, okay? They, it could be, look, I mean, people are saying, I think, I think was it Nick Falder, I think, said, okay, let's have, make sure your tee is not more than half an inch. You can't have a longer than half inch tee or something, you know, because that, that'll get, stop people hitting, hanging back on it, hitting up on it. And I mean, it's all sorts of things, but I, I just think, look, they're going to probably have to, at some stage, bring the golf ball back a little bit. Uh, they're going to have to somehow find a way to, look, otherwise they're running out of, <laughs> running out of real estate, as they say in America. The fact is, you know, you know what are you going to have, 8,000 yard golf courses, which you've got to maintain and water's going to be a problem in years to come. And, and furthermore, I mean, look, yeah, the way you toughen up golf courses certainly is to narrow fairways, grow the rough up, make the course first and fast and firm. But it's not always easy just to do that for one week a year. I mean, because the problem is you've got the other 51 weeks members are playing. Okay, they don't want to play under those sort of conditions. So yes, you can firm and toughen up a golf course and they can probably do that for a US Open to a certain extent. Uh, but you're, you're, I mean, most golf courses, they're not playing tournaments big major tournaments on them so i just think you know I, I still think some people don't they say no we should be playing the same equipment and they people don't play the same equipment as the pros i can tell you there's just no way i mean it, it might look the same from you know from a distance but it's not the same okay i mean the heads may be similar uh well obviously probably probably the same but you know the shafts are different uh, just the way they're set up there you know with a the bounce could be different on a, on a club for a player. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of things that go into it. And so, and even, you know, even golf balls now, I mean, you're finding, you know, obviously golf balls now, people are using, uh, the player, the top players are using balls which suit them. You know, some, they may be a low, they may be low spinners and they want a, a high spin ball and vice versa. So, um, I mean, technology is playing a huge role, but, you know, the advances in the game, I mean, you know, you can say, let me just finish this. You can say in yeah. tennis, all right, people are serving harder and faster because look, you're probably, you're getting guys, you know, six foot eight and seven foot tall playing. So they, so the net's the same height, but still, you know, and, and the game has changed even there. And so even there, they were thinking in terms of, of making softer balls and so on and so forth. But it's hard in golf. It's hard in golf because of the fact is, look, if you smash it out there 350 yards, you have a serious advantage if somebody hits a 250. And so, you know, golf is still a game of skill. And, you know, you shouldn't necessarily, it's not just the huge long hitters that should be successful in the years to come. You want players of the ilk of a Patrick Reed who work the ball and are able to draw it and cut it and so on. Because that's, that's always been a part of the game, right? And it's just now, well, smash it as far as you can, hit a wedge everywhere. Well, you know, that's not, that's not the game, really. Yes. Are there any are there any things coming in the that you see on the horizon with golf, or players that you see coming up that you think we you know might want to look out for certain technological things or 
particularly young hotshot players? Anything you could give us a sneak peek on with your inside views? Well, you never know. I mean, you always look at people and say, yeah, well, this person looks like they're going to be a superstar and you see somebody else who, man, that person's really improved over the last year or two. You know, equipment-wise, look, they're always, I mean, look, I mean, if you ask Callaway, they're always two or three years ahead, you know, and they're sort of it's top secret what they're bringing out, you know. So, you know, it's always interesting, you know, with all these manufacturers, they always say that, well, this is 10 yards longer than it was last year. If that was the case, we'd be hitting it 500 yards by now. But but it, it is true. I mean, I mean, the equipment is... I mean, it's amazing you know, the the time and effort they put into and the research and what they're doing to clubs to just to make it easier, you know, for for the average golfer. Okay, it's like so. I mean, yes, you do get you know a certain line, maybe you know, Callaway brought out certain lines which they'll probably test to as well. That one year, hey, that that line was not as good as as the previous year, so they then bring out something else. They always bring out new stuff, and it's a it's a it's a problem for golfers because it's like you know it's like you know you just bought your set of gloves and something else come out which is supposedly better i suppose it's like a like a car right i mean it's like you you buy the 2021 and you know well that's great and then that no, 2022 is a lot better you know it's got this and that and this and that but um but as far as players are concerned yeah we've got you know we've got some good young players i've got this young player who i think is going to be a superstar when she finds her feet you know she's still sort of finding her feet out there. Her name's Maria Fassi from Mexico. The girl, she's, uh, she, she won the NCAAs, uh, well, two years ago now because they didn't play it last year. Uh, she's from, I say, she's, she has a sort of, uh, you know, 108 miles an hour club head speed wow. with a driver. And uh, I mean, so she, she pounds it out there. And, you know, she's just, she's, you know, she, it's funny, she hasn't found it as easy on tour as she, uh, as she did when she was finishing her amateur career, but she she is going to be good. I mean, so it's uh, you know sometimes it just takes a, a while for people. You know, I, I taught Danielle Kang for a number of years, and when she first came out, she was a very heralded player on the US uh, US amateur twice. But you know, she took her time in finding her feet and getting comfortable, and you know, now all of a sudden. You know, you haven't got your college coach doing this and that for you. You've got all this time on your hands. How do you organize yourself? So there's a lot of factors that go into being a being a top player. But, you know, from a talent level, I mean, yeah, watch out for her, Maria Fassi. You will see her name in the future. So, And for yourself, you know, even globe trotting around the world, working hard for decades and stuff you enjoy, obviously. But what yeah. do you foresee in these next, you know, God willing, these next five, ten years as you, you know, I'm trying, what would you I'm like trying. to do? I'm trying to slow down, Adam, and uh, do some things, you know, uh, but, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun. You know, to me, it's, it's, it's just a really, you know, I, I've always said, look, I've never worked a day in my life because it's been so enjoyable. I mean, ever, you know, from the time I was, say, 17, 18, when I turned pro, it's like, it's just something I've loved. I've loved the game. I've loved the people in the game. I've loved the challenge of the game and, you know, from playing to coaching to everything else. And uh, so you just, and you know, golfers are, you know, I mean, if we can get the whole world to play golf, maybe the world would be a lot better place, you know, that's, that's for sure. Uh, but, um, you know, I, you know, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of training aids in the sort of uh, in the pipeline, you know, it's always trying to come up with something which mm-hmm. helps somebody get that extra 20 yards, you know. So, so but, uh, um, you know, and uh, say coaching coaches, I mean, as much success as I've had with tour players, you know, I mean, I've had the good fortune to work with players that won 23 majors and have been wow. I've had seven world number one players who were I was working with at that time. Uh, 
and but I'm also proud of the fact that you know I mean giving people such as yourself a sort of start yeah. in the in the game where you've gone on to sort of do great things so it, which is nice it's nice look it's always nice to help people and absolutely you know, sometimes I think giving is better than receiving in my opinion it's like right. Christmas a bit you know and so you know and, and I as I say Andrew and I uh, had a good talk about that the other day what a for, for he and I, Andrew Rice, for he and I, what a pivotal time. And because we were young, you know, I mean, to hop on your sort of train and work there was just, you couldn't ask for more. You know, it'd be like working for Walt Disney if you wanted to write two cartoons, you know, it was just great. So, and there's yeah. a lot of examples of people that I've worked with in your operation over the years that have, again, have really done well. Yeah. Things. Well, if you speak of Andrew, right, I mean, his wife Terry worked for me. So that wouldn't have right. happened if he hadn't joined me. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. I I haven't asked him yet, but he's seen he's been married for so many years. It's probably a blessing. Yes, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> he seems happy. All right, we have a little uh, little rapid fire. Just personal preference, a few choices. We can close with this. We ask every guest this. So, your personal favorites, Pebble or St Andrews? Mm, that's a toughie. Uh, I would say, because I'm a bit of a his, his, historian, you know, I've got a, I collect, I collect old instruction books and what have you. And uh, uh, I, I would say St. Andrews. I mean, I hesitated there because, I mean, I don't think there's any better views in the world than right. Pebble Beach or, you know, that, that, that whole portion of the North, Car uh, North California coast there, you know, Carmel. Right. But um, I would say St. Andrews. I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Daddy Shack, Tin Cup. Uh, I'd say I'd say Caddyshack because it was the first one that came out and it was really funny and I mean yeah. they, they were both really good but I think I, I just think some of the characters they had in Caddyshack were yeah. amazing and it's still great uh, country club characters caricatures yeah. really yeah, yeah exactly. Great stuff. exactly so I'd say personally Caddyshack yeah you know one of the members at the club I met is a member of the club in Chicago where Bill Murray grew up and the the locker room lady who's about 70 now is is the, basically the the irish maggie character is based on that character she's oh really she works oh really so wow, wow bill murray and her was good friends so it's kind of interesting <laughs> how about walking or riding for you personally oh, i'd say walking i mean i just think that you know golf's meant to be uh, it's meant to be walked all right i mean right look mm -hmm. if you've got to have to get a quick nine in there's obviously just jump on the old buggy and off you go but i think that walking it, it gives you time to think i mean because yeah. you play you, you know you play on a golf cart i mean you're on your ball before you know it right here you can walk you can i mean you don't even have a chance to take in the views a lot of time or, or right. converse with your the people you're playing with and so you know, i think it's meant to be walked and uh i mean look i know that's it's a big a big business golf carts isn't it so uh uh but uh, I, I would say walking yeah jack or tiger uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, geez, I mean, I, you know, I would put that as a dead heat. Only reason being, I would say that maybe Tiger is the most talented player, but you still have to look at Jack's record. He's won 18 majors. I know Tiger's had, you know, obviously issues, health issues, and one thing or another. And probably if he hadn't missed a number of years might have surpassed Jack but and I, I don't think nobody's played golf like Tiger played for that period of time plus you have to remember that the I wouldn't say yeah it's probably not quite true to say I mean the competition 
not necessarily stiffer, but it was more, there was more depth to it. Okay. Right. If you look, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's some great players to go back in the day, you know, Arnold and Gary's and Johnny Miller's and Hale Owens and Tom Weisbrook and you know, this goes on. I mean, that's some great players, but now, I mean, it's like, you look at the quality of play now. I mean, any, virtually anyone in the field can win where back then probably maybe 20 players had a chance so i would say i'm going to call that a dead heat okay so photo similar center. one annika or mickey wright i'm a big mickey wright fan but that's this is your question mickey wright yeah mickey wright so mickey wright had one of the greatest swings i mean if you ask uh, sam sneed said she had one of the greatest swings in golf never mind men or women and, and uh you know, i just love if you get a chance anybody watching that shell's wonderful world of golf and watch her watch her playing and just see how good her golf swing was. I mean, she, I mean, I actually, I did watch her play a few holes very, when, when my wife, when Kelly first went out on tour, she, she played her almost her last rounds. I think she played, she had such bad features playing in tennis shoes. I remember, but I mean, what a ball striker she was, but I'd have to go with Annika because her record and shooting 59 is just incredible, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I just, with her record, I have to go with Annika. All right, a couple more then. Would you, if you could be the best iron player in the world or the best driver for game satisfaction, what would you want to be bestowed on you? Who, who, uh, best iron player or best driver of the ball? Yeah, if you could, if you could play golf with one of those two strong suits, which one? I would, would you say pick? I'd want to be the best iron player because historically, if you look at all the great players and look at all the winners at Augusta, they've all been great iron players. Okay, look, people can hit it out there. I mean, a fairway is 40 yards wide. So if you, you know, if it's not, unless it's tree-lined, heavily tree-lined, if you're on the right edge of the fairway, the left edge of the fairway, in the center of the fairway, there's probably not a whole lot of difference. And maybe, maybe the angle into the pin, but for the most part, okay, you can get away with it, right? But if you've got an eight iron in your hand and you're hitting it 40 feet, left or right, short or long, well, and then, you know, you've got a problem. So to me, I mean, being a great iron player, I think is, uh, I mean, if you look, look at a Faldo, for instance, I mean, his whole game was geared around his iron play. Uh, and so even his, even his golf swing, his meticulous metronome tempo, if you will, it was the same. I mean, it wouldn't, you wouldn't go at it any harder. And so as a result, I mean, Nick was never considered a long hitter, even though he was a big fella. And so, but, you know, just being a great iron player, Nick Price, I mean, you, you just listen to, you know, I never, I never got to watch Ben Hogan hit balls. Unfortunately, I was going to, but David Frost, who was a, a Ben Hogan player at the time, actually organised for me to go and watch him. And he unfortunately, got ill, and that was really the start of his demise, sadly. But I did, I did watch Lee Trevino in his heyday, and my goodness, I mean, there's just a sound, uh, and the same with Nick Price, like a bullet that came off the club face. And so, um, yeah, so I would say, I would say, yeah, great arm player. Mm. Funny enough, a corporate outing we did together, you were busy doing something, but Arnold Palmer was at that outing. He was in Boston at the 99 Ryder Cup. And so myself, Adam Schreiber, and Blake Shue, I think the three of us got to sort of hang out with Arnold Palmer on the range a little bit. And I asked him about Hogan's game and he said some interesting things. But he said at the end, and without a question, he said, look, if people talk about this fade Hogan hit, he said, I, I don't buy that. He said, I played with him a lot. I mean, he could fade it if he wanted. He said, but if you played with him and he started whacking his hand, he said, what you remember is not some fade is how the shot sounded, how solid they really were hit. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I would, I would concur with that for sure, definitely. 
Yeah. Well, we really appreciate it. It takes up some of your valuable time, but people are going to enjoy watching this and get some insights Pleasure. on Pleasure, you. Adam, nice, nice, nice to talk to you and reminisce, shall we say. You yeah, know? great. Uh, hope to have you back down to Mediterra when things clear out. Maybe you can do another golf yeah, school with yeah, us. I hope, uh, we'd love to have everybody, you. Everybody has a great golf season, happy, healthy, and it looks like the golf the golf businesses, ironically, has sort of done well through this COVID yeah, period. Yeah, people advanced. figured, you know what? Let's let's get out and play some golf. I mean, it's better than being stuck at home the whole time. So um, hopefully, long may that continue and we sort of build on that growth. Great. Thanks again, David. All right, Adam. Nice to see you. Bye now.